prayers there. This morning, we're, we're going to be looking at an area of Scripture um, that, to some, is very uncomfortable, awkward. In fact, sometimes, even in the church, it's uh, downright offensive. Um, if you're visiting for today, uh, just know that we have been going through the wonderful book of Philippians, and we have come to this passage, and for those that are here on a regular basis, you should have known already what we're going to be talking about. So this is good, but I come to this, this passage this morning, and I, I, I think it's a glorious opportunity a wonderful opportunity for you and I to reflect on one of the most precious character qualities of our God. The area I'm speaking to is giving. Specifically giving of one's money and resources. And for a while, I, I have to be honest, there was a season earlier in my ministry where I'd come to these passages and I'd be like, hmm, how can I be gentle around this? And how can... Um, and it would be even intimidating for me. I'm asked sometimes, how often do you preach on giving? And, and the truth is, I preach every time the Scripture comes to it and mentions it as it does today. And I have come to the point where I actually look forward to this. For the sole reason that when you and I engage in the act of giving, we are reflecting in ourselves one of the most powerful attributes of our God. Think about that. You and I serve a giving God. How many of you are grateful for that this morning, by the way? Yeah, me too. I mean, think about it. Our God, consider, He gives life. In fact, not only does he give life, he forms life in the very womb. He, he gives for our needs. Each one sitting here this morning, and most likely each one listening this morning, has their needs met. Needs. He gives joy. I mean, we have been going through Philippians, and my goodness, you cannot go through this, this book and look at these pages of Scripture without rejoicing. If you can, then I'd question your relationship with, with Jesus Christ. He gives you and I joy. He gives us hope. In this day and age, that's something rare. Oh, but the children of God, we have hope. He gives peace. We looked at that peace the last two Sundays. God is one who gives peace. 
Well, that wasn't enough. He gives salvation. He is a God who gave salvation as a free gift to you and I. I love the the beginning words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He... He gave. He gave us His Son. What a giving God! And what I marvel about as I go through the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, I see His willingness to give even to the undeserved. And let's be honest, church. There's not a one of us sitting here who are deserving. Look look at Matthew 5 with me real quick here. Look at, this is the words of Jesus. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's hard to do. That's a sermon in itself. But we're going to move on to verse 45. So that... You may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We serve a God who gives even to the undeserved. What a blessing. Paul, as he's Finishing up this, this letter, his, his tone of, of rejoicing continues as he greatly, greatly expresses his gratitude to these dear people in Philippi. As, as he commends them for, for their giving. Oh, he is so grateful. And not only does he commend them, but he, he draws the attention of his readers. To focus on the Lord. To follow after the Lord's example. Follow along with me as we read chapter 4 beginning in verse 10. Paul, I can almost imagine his, his heart as he's writing this. He can't express enough as he pens these words. But I rejoiced. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. 
Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for, your, for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many of you heard some verses in there that are kind of well-known? We're going to talk about those verses. It's amazing how many verses in Philippians are, are quoted and sometimes misquoted. We'll talk about that too. But as we begin this, this passage this morning, there, there's an expression of gratitude. Thank you. Paul says it with enthusiasm. There's a genuine gratitude throughout this letter. But as we look around today, would you not agree that genuine gratitude is becoming less prevalent? We look around and it seems that our society has been plagued with a heart of entitlement. We see it everywhere, and the church, unfortunately, is not immune. And it's impacting, it, it's, it's poisoning hearts. It's interesting... This entitled mindset is robbing people, you and I, of genuine gratitude. And I say genuine gratitude because, you know, it's interesting as, as a parent, we, we teach our children early on to say thank you. You know, please and thank you. That's something that we teach our children. And as they're young, when someone gives them something, when they receive something, we look at them and say, now say thank you. And, and they say it out of obedience. But as they grow older, we, we hope and we, we teach them the value of things. The value of something. So that when it is received, there is a genuine, true gratitude, appreciation, because they understand the value. 
It's interesting, as, as our kids would grow up, we would, you know, from time to time go out to eat. And, you know, we, we drove sometimes uh, for a while there over an hour to get to church. So after church, we would typically just go out and get a hamburger and fries somewhere and stuff. And, and we would tell our kids, now say thank you, you know, and they would and all. But you know what was interesting is as they got older, as they began to do projects and earn some money and all of that, and then they would go and buy that hamburger and fry or that Frosty or whatever it was, they began to understand how quickly those funds diminished when they enjoyed a tasty treat. And it was interesting, once they began to purchase those things on their own, when we as parents would take them out to eat, there was a genuine, Dad, thank you for this. Thank you. I don't have to buy the Frosty. Thank you. I don't have to buy the hamburger, the fry, whatever it is. There was a genuine appreciation. I remember the first time Joseph began to fill the tank in his car with gas. It was like shock to him. He's like, oh! I mean, as he's holding that, that funnel there and it's just dumping stuff into his car, he's seen his money disappear. It was interesting. The next time I went and I filled up the tank, he goes, thank you, Dad. I really appreciate that. There was a genuine appreciation because he understood the value. Paul, in this passage, is expressing genuine gratitude. He understands the value. And, and he's grateful for several things. First of all, he's grateful, so grateful, for their genuine concern for him. And, and not only their, their concern, but their remembrance of him. He's so grateful for that. He is grateful for the gift, the financial help that they sent. He's grateful for the blessing that they receive. There is a benefit to them that they are getting out of this, and he's grateful for that. And we're going to look at those things, but first, it, he's thankful to be remembered. I think often many suffer with being forgotten or feeling forgotten. And I'm going to draw our attention to our missionaries this morning. Paul. These, these people... To Paul are so dear. He has expressed that in numerous ways as he's been writing this letter. It's one of the most personal letters that Paul writes. And he has known their concern for him from the very beginning. Do you see how just their, their concern for him brings rejoicing? And Paul understands their, their situation. We get a glimpse of, of the situation. He, he expresses here that they lacked opportunity. 
Look with me at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Look at what it says. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches in Macedonia. This is where Philippi is at, in Macedonia. It goes on, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality do you see that they give joyously they give liberally in their affliction in their poverty paul understands that this is what they're going through they were going through great turmoil as was paul remember he's sitting they're chained up to a Roman guard under house arrest. And oh, by the way, he gets to pay for his house arrest. What a deal. Yet we find more joy and more rejoicing in this letter than any of Paul's letters. And he writes back to this church encouraging them to rejoice as well. Knowing that they are in abundance of affliction and turmoil. Yet they gave to him out of this. And their concern brings him rejoicing. They sent a message. A letter. They sent a messenger. They even sent someone there to care for him, minister to him, encourage him, Epaphroditus. And they sent financial aid. And Paul understands the value of what they have sent. I, I wonder sometimes how well we do as a church in our day and age with all the, the conveniences we have. I want everybody to do something for me real quick. I want you to reach into your pocket, your purse, and hold out your cell phone. And this, I turned everything off so this thing wouldn't go off or vibrate or anything while I'm preaching. But I actually have it today. Okay, hold up your cell phone nice and high for me. I don't think I see any flip phones. Do we, does anybody have a flip phone? Okay, all right. Do you realize that if you're holding a phone that has a screen like this, it's actually called a smartphone, okay? And uh, I, I question that sometimes, but your phone has the capability to make calls. That's probably one of the things you do least on it. It has the ability also to text. It also has the ability to email. I started this series out encouraging you, and I decided intentionally to back off on the encouragement. I even gave assignments at the very beginning to go and pick a missionary each week. I, I wonder how many continued to do that week after week and encourage our missionaries that are out there. By the way, this week is our Awana missionaries. Joe and Jill Cook. 
I wonder how many of you have actually taken the time to put their information into your phone. If you have, I would encourage you sometime during this service or the break, if I'm actually that captivating, you don't want to pause to, to do this. I want to encourage you, if you have their contact, just one of them in your phone, to send them a text or an email, not a call, that's a little awkward during the service, but, and just say, you know what? I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. On the Echo app this week, we, we asked you to pray for Jason Farmer as he traveled back to the States. His dad is in poor health. I wonder how many took the time to send an email to the farmers encouraging them or praying, just saying simply, I'm praying for you. I wonder. We live in a day and age where we can do it so easily, where we can remember those who are on a foreign field in an instant. I'm not even asking you to go down to Mexico. However, with 12 degrees out there, Mexico is sounding really, really nice right now. I will volunteer, okay? Um, Actually, Caleb's going to volunteer. He's freezing up here. He, he doesn't understand cold. But you know, out of Paul's genuine appreciation here, it can be summed up, his gratitude can be summed up, his, in, in one word, contentment. Paul has learned contentment when it comes to our wealth our resources our wants our desires are we content verse 11 paul is saying i'm not speaking out of want i'm not speaking out of need the things i'm telling you he's saying are coming out of a heart of contentment Value, understanding, contentment, whether very little, and some here have experienced very little, or great abundance. All of us would love to live on the side of great abundance, oh, but to be in that very little and have the exact same contentment. What a blessing. Good circumstances or difficult circumstances? Nobody wants difficult circumstances. But can we be content there? Believe it or not, sometimes it's even harder to be content in the good circumstances. Rich or poor? Suffering, need. There were times that Paul suffered need, food, shelter. He lacked those things. Yet he was content. I think of when my wife and I went and started as missionaries at the camp. Our whopping monthly budget was $700. 
And it was one of the most joyous times of our life. We did not have fluff. But contentment. Webster defines content this way, to appease the desires of something. To appease that. You're content. You're getting peanut butter and jelly, but a steak would be nice, but you're content with that. I love peanut butter and jelly. doesn't stick with me long, but I love it. He goes on to define it, to limit oneself in requirements, desires, or actions. To limit. To be content. Scripture speaks a great deal to contentment, especially in the area of finances and money. It's interesting, Scripture actually teaches of money more so than we would like to give it credit for. It's like it impacts every part of our life. It's like God understood that we would need to have a firm grasp on this. I'm going to give you just two verses this morning. Hebrews 13.5, look at what it says. Make sure that your character... Whoa, wow. We're talking about money and all of a sudden the Scripture is addressing our character? You mean this is a heart issue? You bet. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Do you realize what that scripture is saying? He's enough. God's enough. Contentment. Look at what 1 Timothy, Paul writes this to Timothy and instructing, he goes, but godliness is actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by, oh, come on, you guys can read that word, accompanied by, yeah, there's great gain in this. And it says, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. And even those things Paul lacked at times. And he found himself content. I've been by the bedside of many who have stepped from this life to the next. And they took nothing with them. This passage would be really, really hard to preach without verse 13. Verse 13 should be one that is highlighted in your Bible for the correct reason. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Sorry, not verse 15, 13, 13. Did I say 15? No, I said 13? Good. Numbers are jumping around. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many of you have quoted that passage thinking about living contentment? Okay, a few of you. How many of you have misquoted that verse? It's in a lot of graduation cards. It's in a lot of pep talks. I mean, gyms love to have this posted on the wall. I can do all things. I can lift that 300 you know, pound weight. No, I can't. 
It's not talking about some of those things. It's talking about you and I in all things, all situations, can live a life of contentment. Not through ourselves. Because we're not naturally content, are we? Swindoll wrote this. I I had to read it. He worded it well. He goes, The all things refers to surviving the extremes of life. How many of you have faced the extremes of life? Five of you. Wonderful. The rest of you, you will. Okay? To paraphrase, whatever the ups and downs of life may be, he says, I can handle whatever comes, not through my own strength, but by the power of Christ. We handle those things because of Christ. We find contentment because of Christ. It's God who enables us to do that. Don't think you're going to leave here today and do that on your own. Your selfish desires are going to well up in in you and you're going to look and go, I want that. I need that. No, you don't. I'm going to get that. But we begin to understand the value of what we have. The value of what we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We begin to understand all that He has given to us and we find ourselves in a place of going, Thank you, God! Thank you! And we find contentment because He enables us. We look at His Son And not only did He give salvation, church. As Paul has already mentioned in chapter 3, He gave an example. An example. Knowing their situation well and receiving the gift that they gave. Paul commends these people. Well done. Attaboy. He gives them a kudos, so to speak. He says, well done. Paul takes time in his letter to praise these people. What, what an amazing thing for, for this leader to take time in, in thanking them and commending them. And he commends them in, the, in their body living and body giving. The body of Christ coming together to live like no other, to give like no other. This is body living, he says. And as you you engage in this, he says, you took action to express your concern. The body of Christ coming together to express their concern. And he says, good job. Good job. He even recalls back, he looks back and, sh- and commends them on their faithful practice of this. He goes, even when I went to Thessalonica, remember the first time Paul went to Philippi? Uh, Philippi didn't like him much. The people of the church loved him, but the city didn't. 
And he runs from there and he goes next to Thessalonica. Even there, right away, they engage in his ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're even sending gifts there multiple times. And Paul says, you're the only church in Macedonia that sent gifts. The only church. Do you realize for some of our missionaries back there, we are the only church sending words of encouragement, sending support. When was the last time one of you reached out to Dave Strait? His work there with the orphans and the men. An amazing work. When was the last time you decided to drop an email to our missionaries in Russia? The information's out there. How many of you decided to, to call our Awana missionaries? It's a Colorado number. If you have a cell phone, it doesn't matter anyway. Just to say, hey, I'm praying for you. What about Bill and Penny just down the road or Jonathan just in parachute alone? Stop by and say, hey, I'm praying for you. I appreciate you. He says, well done. Way to go. You guys are doing body living well. Body giving. Everybody's like, oh, here comes the giving part. Yeah. We have the opportunity to be like our Heavenly Father to reflect His character of giving. We have the opportunity to be conduits that He uses to benefit and bless others. That's exciting. Can you imagine being a conduit of God that He uses to bless others? They saw Paul's need and they gave. They took action. I love that. They saw Paul's situation and they're like, let's send someone to encourage him. Let's send Epaphroditus. There's nothing like feeling like you're all alone in ministry and someone coming up and just giving you a big old hug. Sometimes that says more than words ever could. Embracing each other, crying with each other, laughing with each other. The encouragement. They said, let's send encouragement. Let's send finances. You know what? We're poor, but that's okay. Let's send a gift to Paul. And they gave out of their need. And there was blessing. Paul says, he goes, I don't want the gift merely for the gift. You know what that means? Paul appreciated the gift. Paul needed that gift. He goes, but I don't need it. I don't want it just because I need it. Don't get Paul wrong. He wasn't saying, I don't need the gift. He did. He goes, but I also want the blessing that comes to you. I want the blessing, the eternal rewards that will come to you. Proverbs 19.17 says this. Look at what it says. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the... Wow. And he 
will repay him for his good deed. That is not saying if you give someone $20, God's going to give you 40 It's not. But I guarantee the individual who is willing to give and be that conduit, God will trust them more to be his conduit for others, for other purposes. Paul understood the value for the giver. There is a valuable aspect for you and I to give. First and foremost, we reflect the character of our God. Paul says, well done. But typical Paul fashion, I love this. He closes praising God. He closes this rejoicing and praising God. He draws their attention that this, as they give of themselves, as they give sending Epaphroditus. And and think about this. Epaphroditus would have been beneficial back at the church. They're missing an instrumental man who could be ministering back there too. They've given of their resources and it is a sacrifice. Paul would encourage the Romans to be a living sacrifice. And Paul commends them on their worship, their sacrificial worship. I love that when we we participate in, in our tithes and offerings, that it is considered an act of worship in this church. Or it should be. If it's not, keep it in your wallet. It's an act of giving to God, worshiping, sacrificing. And some, let's be honest, sacrifice more than others. How much are you going to sacrifice? What are you going to sacrifice of yours? I hope you give nothing of yours. I hope you give all that's His. And when you think about the concept of what's his, well, um, well, there's a financial uh, lesson right there, huh? It's all his. It's all his. The problem, the longer we hold on to it, the more we feel it's ours. It's all his. Our resources, our finances, our gifts, our talents... When you and I engage in giving, we're giving back to Him what's already His. We just have the opportunity to be His conduit. The one that He uses for His work. By the way, if you're going to invest in something, that's worth investing in. Investing in the work of God. We don't give so that others are impressed. If you do, stop. God doesn't want that. Church doesn't need that. We don't give so that we receive a special status. We don't give so that we get a tax break. I know, we're thinking about that now. We even have the envelopes back there, you know. 
What a blessing that we do, but guess what? That's not why we give. We don't give so that the pastor sees. Surprise! I don't know who gives and who gives what. Thank goodness. If you're like giving, go, man, the pastor's really going to think a lot of me. <laughs> Sorry, I have no clue. I don't want to know. I'm going to preach on giving. I'm going to preach on salvation. I'm going to preach God's word without being hindered by that. We give as an act of worship. We give in obedience to our God. It's not about... Oh man, I, I'm just going to read verse 19 again. This is one that's really confused. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness, how many times I've heard this passage preached out of context and wrong. This is not health, wealth, and happiness. Saying he's going to supply your needs, not your greeds. And looking around, we have our needs met very well here. In fact, I saw most of you come in with coats. Some of the teenagers didn't, but, you know, that's on them, okay? Amber, I know you have coats for your kids. I know they just choose not to wear them. It's, it's okay. We have our needs met. We have a God who met our need. He met our greatest need at the cross. And three days later, he conquered death by rising again. The focus draws right back to Christ and praising Him. As any time that God's children give, it should be God that gets the glory, not you and I. What an amazing way to be a part of what He is doing. I'm going to close this morning asking several questions that I want you to ponder. Are you grateful? Are you truly grateful, understanding the value of what God has given? Second, are you seeking comfort more than contentment in this life? Are you seeking comfort more than contentment? Are you seeking self-entitlement rather than self-sacrifice? So easy to go into. What's keeping you from being content? 
What is keeping you today from giving like the Philippians game? What do you need to start today to be a faithful conduit for our great God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you have given. God, your son would have been enough, but you have lavished your grace, your abundance on us. God, thank you. Lord, I pray this morning that we would be conduits of your love, your blessing, and God, even conduits financially for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that we can even stand here this morning freely declaring this, preaching your word freely. God, thank you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.